Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. All right. Welcome back to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Father Michael O'Loughlin here at the Los Angeles Religious Ed uh, Congress in uh, March 2019. I'm here. I was able to grab a bishop, Robert Barron, who uh, is now home here, ministering, of course, as a bishop in the L.A. area. What's your, your, I noticed you're the uh, titular bishop of somewhere in Mauritania, correct, bishop? Yeah, Macriana in Mauritania. Macriana it's not, Mauritania. That, not that far from uh, Hippo. Okay. So it's in that area. I think it's actually referenced, I don't know if it's Augustine, but someone of that time references this little diocese. Okay. That's how we know it existed. All right. Well, hey, congratulations <laughs> on that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Of course, and uh, he's here at the conference, of course, with Word on Fire, and also giving a couple talks I'm guessing you've done at the conference. Uh, I had a couple of questions, Bishop, for you. I know we have a limited time, but um, when I discerned the priesthood, I, uh, my heart was serving individual souls in an individual parish. I know different priests discern their vocation of the priesthood different ways, but you've been in academia for a long time, of course, um, most recently in academia as the rector in Chicago. Uh, at Mundelein, but you've now moved into a pastoral role. And I'd be curious, moving from your discernment of the priesthood to academia to now a bishop in the pastoral role, how has our Lord transitioned you in those ways so that you have a priestly heart? Yeah, you know, I I think at at the heart of it is responding to the church's uh, summons. Mm. You know, so it's, when I was ordained in 1986, and I promised obedience to Joseph Bernardine and his successors, that was it. And I've done what the church has asked me to do. So I was sent to a parish. I did full-time parish work for four years, which I loved. And then I was asked to go study. Uh, and they knew that I had ability in the academic area. You know, I, was, I, I loved it. So they asked me to go. So I went to Paris and got my doctorate. And then they asked me to go and teach. And then that's what they asked me to do until Cardinal George invited me to um, expand into this work of evangelization through the media. So Word on Fire was also part of that discernment. And then one fine day, to my complete surprise, he asked me to be rector of the seminary. I wasn't expecting that at all. And then three years after that, I get a call from not (laughs) Colonel George, but from um, uh, the Apostolic Nuncio inviting me to be a bishop. So in a way, it wasn't so much discernment. I mean, I discerned becoming a priest way back when. But in terms of the actual work I've done, I've just sort of followed the prompting of, of the, my superiors. You know? Amen. Obedience. Yeah, it really was. And, but I, you know, when I was rector, I would give a lot of spiritual talks to the students. Mm-hmm. And um, I talked a lot about that. Yeah. I told this story about, it's true, I'm at this big cocktail gathering. It was some fundraising thing in Chicago. And I'd just been made rector. You know? And up to me comes this lady. And she said, you know, Father, I think that was the worst decision I don't know why they're wasting your time as a rector. You know, yeah. you should be a writer and a speaker. And a, and so at the same gathering was Cardinal George. And it was a very formal thing. So he had his the, the red, you know, cape and yeah. the cassock. So she went on and on, you know. So finally I said to her, you know, there's a, there's a little man in a red cape in the next room who can answer all your questions. And I really meant it. It's yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, I didn't ask for this. I was, I was told to do it. Yeah. So that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Is that you say, okay, and I'm coming out here. I mean, talk about talk about utter surprise. Right. Completely off my radar screen. Okay. You know, the Lord's doing something. And so I, it's a spirituality of obedience, absolutely. 
and, and I imagine you, that you're fulfilled and you are filled with Sabbath rest even in this ministry? Yeah. You know, it, it's always um, a transition whenever he has to make a change. And so this was challenging. As I knew nothing about this church. Yeah. I, I'd been out here a handful of times, usually to this thing. I'd come to the Congress. Okay. Otherwise, I didn't know L.A. at all. Didn't yeah. know anybody. Didn't know the history of it. Nothing. And then I'm, I'm sent out to Santa Barbara. I, I barely knew where Santa Barbara was. Right. So, yeah, there's a transition to be sure. But it's always a spirituality of acceptance and obedience and, okay, Lord, all right, you sent me out here. I'll keep my eyes open. See what you got in mind, you know? It's one of the beauties of the hierarchical church, that we have someone, yeah. a human being to listen to that's been put in that place by our Lord to call us to a place in the kingdom of God as well. Yes, and we all do this by, by nature as we're sinners. We're always trying to plot our own lives and careers, and I want to do this and do that, and you let go of that. You let go of that. And the Lord has some plan, that the contours of which I can't see clearly. But um, you go in obedience. And the, the verse that kept coming back to my mind was, was the Lord saying to Abraham, you know, get up, leave your homeland, and go in search of a land that I will show you. Yeah. And that stayed in my heart a lot when I came out here. It was, okay, he's showing me, you know, a Camarillo and Oxnard and Santa Barbara and Santa Maria and Lompoc and all these places yeah. I never knew even existed. Right. But, okay, go trusting and and search out this land that I will show you. And now they're your flock. Yeah, and then weirdly, right, these are the people that I'm trying to lead to heaven. My uh, When I was in seminary, my my kind of fantasy about the priesthood would always, if I was it's selfish, I like how you put that, you know, we sin by planning in a sense, we yeah. really do, but yeah. my, my fantasy was always being in a coffee shop or out in public or something like that, and, um, and they're being asked for confession. Yeah. And I, I always thought that that's going to be the moment where my priesthood really is in public, People, somebody seeing my call or seeing my cassock and saying, Father, can I go to confession? And so, you know, that has been fulfilled. <laughs> Thank God, I, I think yeah. I needed it. He needed that for yeah. me. So I'll follow it up with another question, Bishop. Um, Please. The, uh, I, I've talked to bishops before, and because of the authority they have in the church, um, they find it hard, especially if they get moved like you have recently, uh, to find real companionship, community, and friendship. Um, you know, because people always see them as the bishop, as the authority, and to find peers that you can have that real, necessary human component of companionship with. Can you can you talk about how you've been able to do that? Yeah, you're right. It's difficult. Um, and when you're a celibate, you don't have a family. So let's say a a business person or a military person that's that's told get up and leave and go to a, a new city. Yeah. Typically, would have wife and kids <laughs> to go with them. So there's kind of a built-in community. Um, celibate priests don't have that, obviously. Right. And yeah, when I came out here, you know, it was pretty isolating. I, I left almost everyone I knew and was connected to and had nobody out here that I was connected to. But you got to work at it. And uh, partially is word on fire people. So my, my ministry, we were able to move at least part of it out to California, yeah. which meant I had some of those good people. But then you cultivate it. You just have to cultivate some friendships. But I agree with you. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard, especially when you're in this role where people don't often relate to you simply as you. Right. You're the bishop. You know, and you might not think so, or you know, you might not feel that, but it's true. They see you as as this authority figure and uh yeah, I agree. It's difficult, but you just got to work at it. You got to cultivate it. And I'm sure our Lord provides too. You just need to realize what he's doing. I know that I uh 
you know, when I got moved to Denver, Colorado, where I serve now, I knew nobody. And yeah. so all my initial friends were people I'd go to meet in the coffee shops or out, you know, if I was doing my workout, because yeah. I have ADD really bad, so I work out in coffee shops <laughs> and things like that. But um, the uh, trying to realize that that opening myself up to that and then being receptive. But after a while, I said, I, I need priestly fraternity. I, yeah. I really do need that. So I understand. Word on fire, thank God you have, and among your brother bishops. All right, and uh, finally, Bishop, one other question. Obviously, I'm a Byzantine Catholic priest in the Eparchy of Phoenix, and we're here in the Byzantine Catholic booth at the Congress. Um, in your perception, I don't know how much experience you have of the Eastern Catholic Churches, what, what, what do you see as the contribution or the role of the Eastern Catholic Church within the Universal Church? I, I've always loved it. Um, you know, I'm a teacher of theology, and I specialize in Western theology, Augustine and Thomas and all the people that came up out of that tradition. But I've always had a great affection for the East theologically, Going back to in Irenaeus, who's you know ends up in Lyon, but it's kind of an Eastern figure in many ways. The Chrysostom, uh, Origen, um, you know, uh, Evagorius Ponticus, those people. I've always found very moving. And then the liturgy. When I was in Paris, I would often go to uh, the little church of Saint Julien de Pauvre, which is right near Notre Dame, and there'd be a, a Byzantine liturgy there. And I'd go a lot, and uh, I, I loved it. I loved it. The icons and the smoke and the and the solemnity and the sort of cosmic dimension. I think you're better at that. The 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 Latin liturgy has a, its own style and virtue and everything, but a certain sobriety to it. Um, there's something wonderfully um, evocative and and cosmic and strange about the Byzantine liturgy, which I love because it it awakens this sense of the of the mystery of God and and the the, the properly cosmic contours of the history of salvation, that it's not just about human beings getting to heaven, but it's about the redemption of the world, you know. Yeah. So all of that I've always loved in the, in the Byzantine, the Eastern, so I appreciate it deeply. Thank you. I, I discovered it. I grew up Roman Catholic at a, at a wonderful little parish, but when I turned 17, I went to my first Byzantine Divine Liturgy, yeah. and I thought, this is how I talk to our Lord privately, is yeah. how we're all talking him publicly. The mm-hmm. language and, and yeah, the, the smells and the bells, all, all of that was so, it's so human and, and sensory that I, I absolutely fell in love with it. And the language is extravagant. You know, even the way the, all the saints and the theologians and all the titles, and there's, a, there's an exuberance and extravagance to the language. Where the Roman rite, as I say, is more sober in its way of enacting itself and, and pronouncing itself. Yeah. Uh, and again, that has its own virtue. Right. But there's something lovely about the Byzantine. We really do need each other. I, th- yeah. I think the times two, that... The two lungs, as John Paul said. Yeah. The times that we've gone astray in, in ways that, if you compare the Roman Catholic Church to the Orthodox Church, they, 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 there, there's times where we, we've pushed, I think, too far because we have not considered each other. Yeah, I think and, that's and right. And the role each other has in that. And I it's, think that's it's right. caused problems that are near permanent. You know, it's, it's interesting to me, the whole East-West thing, because my great hero is Thomas Aquinas. And people forget that Bonaventure died at the Council of Lyon, 1274. Thomas dies on the way to Lyon. What was the issue? It was the East-West rapprochement. That's what the Pope wanted. Right. And the two greatest theologians in the West at the time were on their way to help with that. And they both died. The devil was at work. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm thinking about that. What would have happened if... Bonaventure and Aquinas, at full power, were able to have their influence there. Yeah. You know? 
Amen. We'll know, we'll know in heaven one day. In heaven, we'll know. <laughs> thank you so much, Bishop. God, God bless, bless you. you. God bless your ministry. Please pray for us and pray for me. Yeah, thank you. Right. God I bless will. you. Thank you. All right. Glory to Jesus Christ. Catholic stuff you should know. L.A. Religious Ed Congress 2019. Uh, this is going to be our Q&A podcast. Uh, so, Thank you for all who are listening around. We got like, there's 200 people out here. <laughs> One, two, three, four. There's 10. Yay. <laughs> Yay, 10 people. All right. All right. We'll have hopefully 10 questions then for, uh, for this Q&A. And again, ask, you can ask anything. You can ask about my co-hosts, um, hair. You can ask about whatever you want. Go deep or, or stay on the surface. I will leave that up to you. And uh, I'm not hearing myself. I'm hearing myself. Yay. All right. All right. Basic Q&A. If you'll tell me your name, where you're from, your patron saint, and then your question. Uh, all right. My name is Gabriel. I'm from Murrieta, California. Um, what was the last one? Patron saint. Uh, my patron saint is St. Joseph. St. Joseph. Beautiful. Yeah. And what's your question? Um, okay. So for baptism, we're given the roles of priest, prophet, king. Like, What does that mean? How do we live that? How do we live priest, prophet, and king after we're baptized? Very good question. Um, I think it's important to understand that those things are Christ's. They're his. Uh, we participate in them, just like um, for my ministerial priesthood. I'm not a priest independent of Christ. I participate in Jesus Christ's ministerial priesthood. When we're baptized, we, are, we, are, we participate in Christ's um, priesthood, his prophecy, and, and his kingship. So um, there's always that, when we analyze it and ask that question, um, we can look inside to see what that is. We can look at our own vocation. We can say, how am I supposed to live this out? Um, but honestly, it's going to be a conversation because in a sense, as Christ says, um, the vine and the branches, right? We need to stay attached to him. And we receive the grace as, as being vines attached to the branches. Um, so uh, the branch that is Christ. So when you ask that question, how is Christ a priest? And I am a member of the body of Christ, so how do I live that out? So Christ's own priesthood. Um, priesthood means two main things. It means to sacrifice and to mediate. So a priest sacrifices and mediates. So whenever I sacrifice, I'm living out my priesthood. Whenever I say, I'm not going to eat meat on Fridays. Whenever I say, I'm going to spend time with my parent or my grandparent instead of my friends. Anytime I say, I'm going to go clean my room without asking, or I'm going to study tonight instead of going out. Any sacrifice I have, sacrifices I've kind of invited myself into, or sacrifices that have been imposed upon me by elsewhere. Anytime I embrace that sacrifice, it is pointless to sacrifice without Christ. It is merely negative. It is merely suffering, and suffering is always an evil. So, because of Christ, I can say suffering is now redemptive. Suffering now can become sacrifice. I can turn the negative evil suffering into something positive, namely sacrifice. And that only happened because Christ died on the cross. It would not have happened if he had not done that. So, anytime I embrace sacrifice as a cross that I carry and follow after Christ, I am being a priest. So, with, with the priesthood and also the mediation. Mediation means that I can actually talk to God. I don't need to go and offer a sacrifice. I don't need to go to a ministerial priest and say, hey, can you talk to God for me? I can talk to God. And whenever I talk to God, that means I am acting as a priest. Whenever I sacrifice, I'm acting as a priest. So I would say don't plan your priesthood too much. 
you know, let the sacrifices, those opportunities, the suffering come. It's going to come, of course. And then as that comes, then say, I'm going to take this opportunity to turn it into sacrifice. Um, the same thing with, with talking with God. If we plan out our prayer time and only pray when we're planning it out, then we're missing the opportunity of the fact that the priesthood is really Jesus Christ, and he's going to give me opportunities every day and every moment to, to participate in that. So that's the priesthood, sacrifice and mediation. Um, being a prophet is similar to the mediation aspect. The prophetes in Greek just means mouthpiece. So, so a prophet is a mouthpiece of God. So these are things I don't really plan either. I just had an opportunity earlier today where I said, I am out of my element here and I'm going to go and I'm going to pray to be God's mouthpiece and I'm not going to plan much. All I'm going to do is I'm going to go and I'm going to listen and I'm going to speak and I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust that, 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 that I am, thank God, have been receiving the sacraments. I am a man who loves Jesus. I'm a man who is attempting to life, uh, live a life of faith. And these, these attempts that I have, the basics I've been receiving, the, 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 the undeserved grace of God through the sacraments. I've been to confession recently. I've, I've received the Eucharist recently. I've prayed recently. All these things should give me a confidence to say, even if I don't feel holy, even if I'm not holy because I'm not, I can still say God has given me the graces to be his mouthpiece and he's going to use me. I just had Father James Martin on the podcast earlier and, and we, we, were, we were talking about um, kind of homilies and being unprepared and there was a homily I was completely unprepared for. I mean, I literally heard the gospel with my people. Don't, your priests have probably never done that. I did not prepare. I was busy. I heard the gospel with the people and I said, I'm going to stand up and just give, it, give a homily. If I'm in a homily on what I heard in the gospel and people were blown away by it. So many people loved it so much. And I remember going to Jesus afterwards in prayer and saying, Lord, why did you do that? It was a very selfish prayer. I said, why? I did not prepare and you rewarded me with a good homily. And his answer to me was, his answer was, even if you neglect your people, I'm not going to. And I was like, ouch, like ouch, but it's true, right? I, I'm a mouthpiece of God, not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it, because God wants his people to hear his word. And if I'm the one in their life at the time, I'm going to be a prophet. I'm going to be a mouthpiece of God in that moment for that person. And it's not about me. It's about Jesus and that person. And I'm the mouthpiece. And if, if, I, if I'm able to have the confidence to say, I'm not going to go, oh, I'm so horrible. I can't be the mouthpiece of God. Heresy, evil, you are. God is going to work through you and make you a good prophet. And the prophecy is God, Jesus Christ is the most perfect mouthpiece of God, the Father. And then he works through us through that. Being a king is, is, is about many different things, but it's about leadership and governance. Where has God said, I want you to lead others? You know, where has God said, I want you to, to draw others closer to Christ through your example, through your preaching? Through, through your leadership, your governance. And we all have it, whether you're a parent, of course, your children, your spouse, um, you're a priest, a pastor, whatever you are, even among your friends. M one of my main discernments of priesthood came through, through when I was a server at a restaurant. I was waiting tables, and my friends knew that I wanted to be a priest. And so what they would do is they would come up and, and jokingly and mockingly and ask me questions, but I always took those things seriously. I've said this on the podcast before. I've always said, you know, the Holy Spirit brought you to me in this moment and I'm not a priest I haven't studied anything yet but there's some sense of leadership that God is asking me to have in helping the lead, helping him lead these souls to him and it's so it really does being a priest prophet and king it, we have to have confidence we have to say I, I cannot be 
falsely humble and say, I'm not worthy or because I sin, I can't do these things. Absolutely not. We need to be humble and say, if I'm getting too much of a kick out of being a priest, prophet, and king, then there's an issue. If I'm doing it off myself, I'm totally getting in the way of the Holy Spirit. But if I'm not, I'm not. And have, have the confidence that God has given you to participate in his priesthood, his prophecy, and his kingship. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, next, please come, sit down. Please be brave, be confident. There we go. All right, your name, where you're from, your patron saint, and your question, please. Hi, my name is Jill. I'm from Vallejo, California. Uh, My patron saint is Mary. And uh, my question is, um, what does it mean, or, like, what is the difference between, um, like, being in the Roman, right, and versus outside of it? Being outside of it. Amen. Yeah. So, the, uh, we're not right now in the Byzantine Catholic booth at the LA Religious Ed Congress. Um, so when Christ, little bit of a history lesson here, Christ sent his disciples out to the, all 12 of them after even after after Judas left and they brought in Matthias. Jesus sent the 12 apostles in a year in Matthew 28 to the whole world to baptize all the nations. Now, the Bible tells us, especially the Gospels, tells the story of who Jesus Christ is. It doesn't say... The Bible doesn't say, here's how the Mass is going to go. You start out by saying, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? But Jesus instituted the Eucharist. And when he instituted the Eucharist, of course, at the Last Supper, um, that that was a Jewish ritual. Mm -hmm. So the apostles, knowing, having had a, a, a mainly, most of them had a Jewish background, they knew what it meant to have a Jewish uh, Eucharistic or what they would just call, uh, you know, the Shabbat meal, et cetera, Mm -hmm. using bread, using food. Um, to engage in this celebration. They took that experience of being Jewish and then they brought that with them and they landed in different cultures and different cities where where these traditions were already happening. Every culture has its own uh, traditions over food, over marriage, etc. So they they adapted what Christ did, bringing the Jewish traditions, adapted to that culture. So um, you had five, five main cities within the first 350 years of the church, five main cities where the patriarchs were. All five of those cities, Jerusalem, Constantinople, Rome, Antioch, and Alexandria, they're all near-ish to Jerusalem where Jesus was. All of these various cities already had their own traditions. And so the apostles were not going to impose. I mean, very early, Thomas went to India, right? India had its own tradition. So they had their own traditions, and so they, they, they adapted what Jesus said, the Eucharistic celebration, based upon the Jewish celebration, to these other cultures. And so you have um, these churches, we call them, growing up with the different traditions, but they're all fully, authentically Jesus Christ. Schisms happened. Heresies happened. In other words, people started denying what the what um, you know truths of the faith and the work of the Holy Spirit in the church, etc. Um, so to, to overgeneralize here, because um, we're sitting at Byzantine Catholic booth, Byzantium refers to the city, Byzantine refers to the city Byzantium before it became Constantinople, before it became Istanbul. Today it's Istanbul. That used to be the city of Byzantium. That's where we get our name Byzantine Catholic from. Um, so we have the tradition out of Constantinople called the Byzantine tradition. And then underneath the Byzantine tradition, you guys can see the poster board over here, um, that there's underneath the Byzantine tradition, what we call the Byzantine Rite, you have these various churches. Now churches just refer to the fact that each of those have their own bishop. So my bishop is my my, my old my uh, former bishop, Bishop Emeritus, Bishop Gerald Dino, oh, sitting over there with the as the icon around his neck. So he's on the far far end of our, our little section here. Okay. That's Bishop Gerald Dino. He was my previous bishop. 
Um, we now have Bishop John Pesak, who will be doing liturgy tonight, but he's not here right now. Um, he, they're, they're the bishop over the Ruthenian church. But in Denver, where I serve, there's a Ruthenian church where I'm a Ruthenian church with, those, with Bishop John. And then there's a Ukrainian church. And then there's a Russian community. All are Byzantine Catholic, but all have separate bishops and slightly separate traditions. We all say the same divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, though. So anyway, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting too specific here. Um, I think regarding your previous questions, what you happen is, so, so in about a thousand years after Christ, um, the, the differences, the diversity of those different churches started causing tension, and humans got involved and pride got involved. So what happened was, is there was what we call the Great Schism between the Catholics and the Orthodox. East and West is a way of, of overgeneralizing the situation. What happened then 500 years after that, so 500, about 500 years ago, some of those who, who, who were part of the Orthodox side wanted to come back in union with Rome. So they went to the Pope and said, we want to keep all of our traditions, leaven, bread, married priesthood, Eucharist for infants, all these things that made Orthodox Orthodox. They said, we want to be Orthodox, but we want to be in union with Rome. So you'll hear some people call us Orthodox in union with Rome. So we are separate churches with separate traditions, um, but we are united under, under the the umbrella of the, of the universal Catholic Church. So if you went into a Greek or Russian Orthodox Church and went into my Byzantine Catholic Church, you really could not tell the difference. The only difference is who we commemorate. We commemorate Pope Francis, they would commemorate their local patriarch. And there's, there's still other differences and issues, but the big one is, is what is the role of the Pope in the life of the Church? That's the big issue we're still on a daily basis trying to discuss with them so that we can have union again. Did that answer you. your question? Yeah. Amen. Thank you. All right. Very nice to meet you. God bless you. All right. Questions? All right. Name, where you're from, and uh, patron saint, and a question. Yeah. Uh, Richard Trevini. I'm from the uh, Sacramento Diocese. That's a Slavic name, Richard. Yes, it is. It <laughs> we is. We had this conversation earlier. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Sacramento Diocese. I'm a regional coordinator for Youth and Young Adult Ministry. Uh, my patron saint is uh, uh, St. Francis de Sales. Uh, so my question is this. Uh, I have uh, I actually spent some time in the seminary in formation. I spent a year as a, in a Byzantine church in Fontana uh, with a Polish friend of mine. And, uh, and I just love the rite. Uh, currently, I'm in a North State where I don't have access to a Byzantine rite. I have four kids and uh, married for uh, 15 years. I'd love to be able to provide them an experience of a Byzantine liturgy. It's just not an access. Is there, are there other, like I'm not, fully grown in a, in a Byzantine, right? So are there other traditions that within the Byzantine culture that I could share with them? So like in the Russian right, like morning prayer, evening prayer. So what are some other things that I could yeah. like share with them that I wouldn't have to be in a Byzantine church? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, on our Byzantine calendar, we have about five saints a day. Um, so there's lots of them, and we just kind of pile them on each other. So, but there, so at least for every calendar day, there is there is the main saint, and there's lesser ones yeah. that we commemorate in the liturgy, etc. Um, just learning about the Byzantine saints. I mean, they're, 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 you would never hear of them if you grew up in a Roman Catholic church. Yeah. Um, so learning about the Byzantine saints. Um, there, there is other traditions like for prayer. Um, generally, you're going to want to be able to sing. So, so it, it, we, we chant everything, of yeah, course. Yeah. And, um, but uh, bringing an Akathist hymn, an Akathist or Akathist hymn, is a beautiful, probably a half an hour. Um, I can give you the website, metropolitanacantorinstitute.org. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, we have this site, and you can find on there, it's an ancient, ancient um, 
prayer service to the Teotokos, to the Mother of God. Yeah. And it awesome. has a repeated melody. So your kids that can read, yeah. they'll get the melody in their head, and then they'll be able to alternate the words that melody. And then even for the kids that can't read, there, there's a repeated refrain. Rejoice, O bright and maiden ever pure. Rejoice, O bright and maiden ever pure. And you do that. So there's like those things, to, to, especially regarding like their love of the Mother of God. Yeah. There's also prayers like the Heavenly King, that it is truly proper. These specifically Byzantine prayers that, that sometimes they'll strike you. Um, there's also a prayer before communion that I love. I have many Roman Catholic friends that will attend a Byzantine liturgy, will read the prayer before communion, and we do it, we do it um, as a congregation in yep. the liturgy. Yep. Um, but... I have Roman Catholic friends that memorize it, and as they're walking down the aisle, they'll be praying it in their head to receive at the Roman Catholic Mass, yeah. receive the Eucharist there. Um, there's also uh, some beautiful home traditions. There's a great, if you're on Facebook, um, look up Busy Mom, B-Y-Z-I-M-O-M. Yeah. Um, and she, she has a website, and she has a, has a presence on, on Facebook. And she's great because she, she lives our Byzantine traditions and then provides resources to make them able to be lived in a home in a family atmosphere. I love it. She's doing great stuff. So little things like that, bringing in prayer, you know, having them go singing is just one thing that we don't do enough in our American culture, especially singing these prayers. We can get, if you get the kids to sing and then adopting some of these, um, like for us, what this mother does is she takes the upcoming Sunday gospel and she finds like arts and crafts and things like that to to make that gospel a lived experience for her children. Yeah, yeah. I'd say the prayer is the big one, but there's there's plenty of other resources. It's interesting. In the when the new germ came out for the Roman Missal, there's actually chants that uh, go for uh, for the lectors, and I'm a lector in our church. Okay. And I lo- the chanting of the readings in the Byzantine Rite is so amazing to me. I, I, it's one of the things I miss uh, is doing that, and so I'm like I'm actually practicing those those chants so that we can do those Good. like during our it at least our your, high it, season. It is right? your Roman. Tradition. It's our Roman Bring tradition. It back. They're not Bring very. They're not as good as the Roman Byzantine right. yeah. uh, chants, but. Uh, but they're still beautiful. You know, I love Amen. that. So. I agree. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Awesome. Hope that Thanks. Helped. Can I do a shout out to my kids? Absolutely. Oh, Anthony, uh, Andy, Ada, Abby. I love you guys. Paula, you're the best. Very nice to meet you, Richard. Thanks, God Father. Bless God bless. Thank you. Next question. Father Goyo. Father Goyo. Would you like to have a seat? They're trying to get Father Goyo. Is it our turn already? No. I want you to. I want you to ask your question, Father. Introduce yourself. The Holy Spirit, please. <laughs> Oh, we on already? Do I need this? No, we're on. Go ahead. So, so name where you're from, uh, patron saint, and your question. Patron saint? Patron saint. Of my parish or my own patron saint? Your own patron. Saint Polycarp is my patron. Okay. Okay, Okay, so I'm Father Goyo Hidalgo, and I'm originally from Spain, but I am a priest here in California, Simi Valley, northern, very close to Santa Barbara. My patron saint... um, well, I have so many, I guess, but um, I guess... You can list, You can do a few. I can do a few? Do, how long do we have? <laughs> Let's say 30 seconds 30, of naming 30 saints. seconds. No, I mean, my patron saint, I would always say, was St. Teresa of Fabula, and maybe, uh, and maybe um, I don't know, uh, St. John of the Cross, all, the, all of those from Spain. I really grew up with them, and I like them, so... Amen. Yeah. And do you have a question or a comment? Do I have a question or a comment? A discussion topic that you and I can talk about. Yeah. Um, wow. We talked about social media before, remember? I think you remember. Um, well, how about vocations? Uh, what are you guys... Well, because, you know, I we listen to your podcast a lot. Thank I don't know how to pronounce podcast. They laugh at me all the time <laughs> I say it. I know what you mean. Uh, but uh, um, I, were you guys interested in doing, like, something really big for vocations? I know a lot of people follow you, and I think vocations nowadays is... is uh, 
It's a, a, we, we are in a shortage. Yeah. So, what did you guys? Uh, what are you guys doing for vocations in your podcast? Where, 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 or, or outside of it yeah. too? Uh, the Holy Spirit is definitely doing a lot. We we, we get a lot of feedback. Um, I hope so. And I think I think what what we do that I, I would if I had to define like what it is that um, about our ministry and our podcast that helps with vocations. Um, you know, people experiencing uh, diocesan priests loving each other right. and, and, and being friends and, and having a real life and, and, you know, having a life that, that, that is parish plus, right. you know, our life is our parish. That is our passion. That's why we have a vocation. That's why we live. Right. But there's something about that, that life that, that our friendship extends outside of the podcast, outside of the companions, but it, it finds its, its center there. And I think many people kind of need to see a priest's life. Right. You know? I agree with you. You know, um, we just came from Bishop Barron's talk, and one of the things he said is that we shouldn't dumb down uh, our faith, and that's one thing you guys don't do. You, you guys, your podcasts are really good because you, you don't dumb it down. It is what it is. And I think that's, that's uh, also a beginning of a great vocation, you know, when you know your faith and you know it well and you don't feel like, oh, you know, that was for kids. So I want to commend you for that because we, we all listen to it and we love it because of that. You guys are not like, okay, well, let's talk about the faith and let's make it really like dummy down. No, you don't do it. So so I just wanted to say that. I always wanted to say that to you. Thank you. We are your biggest fans. <laughs> Thank you. I know. It's so weird. It's so weird. Yes, I, yes we are. I'll fight you, lady. No. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. There is something about for, for a young person or any person to discern a vocation to marriage to, to ministry in the church you need to say that the vocation needs to be something that 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 exhausts us don't take them all oh, oh sorry okay. no, you don't. I was going to take all the stickers here you go it is something it is something that you need to say this is going to take every ounce of your energy it, it's not worth it if it doesn't and so you, is, is your marriage right. going to exhaust you in a beautiful way Yes. Yeah, you're right. You know, I heard the other day the marriage is not 50-50. You know how people say, oh, oh yeah. marriage is 50. It's 100-100. Exactly. And I think it's the same with our vocation. Yeah. It's 100-100. I have a lot of parishioners here who I love very much sometimes. Okay. No. <laughs> no, many times, sometimes. But it, giving 100 also means giving it when I'm tired, giving it when I'm, in, when I'm not in a good mood. It doesn't mean 100 doesn't mean that you're going to be on and good all the time. It means give yourself even when you're tired and you're not in a good mood. My 100% is taking a nap sometimes. Yes. Oh. Oh, my 100%. best friend here right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus took a nap too. So exactly. All right. Pray for vocations, everybody. We pray for them. And yeah. And if you have a, you're easily caught. You're all over social media. Well, what, what's your what, what's your favorite social media? My platform? favorite social media platform. You know, I, I'm I'm not really a hundred percent sure which one. I'm just gonna say that each one of them is a different one. Yeah. Instagram is really cool for people who want to see pictures. Twitter is for arguing. Okay, Facebook yeah. is just liking <laughs> and sharing. So, so any, spell your name if people want to be in touch with you. Geo. Father F-R-G-O-Y-O. I usually use Twitter and uh, Instagram a lot. Okay. So Father F-R-G-O-Y-O, Father Goyo. So, so, so he's, Father Goyo is, is, is absolutely working and praying for vocations. Yes. As we found out. I am too. I'm, I'm, I'm assistant vocations director for our eparchy. And if you, if you have any feedback for either of our ministry right. on how we can be, um, be more open to what the Holy Spirit's doing in the way of vocations and calling men and women to to, yep. to give their entire life to what Christ has called them to. It's a lot be, of be fun. I love it. Amen. Don't you love being a priest? Oh, I love it. I yeah. love it. 13 years so far. I'm still in the honeymoon phase, I feel. Right. And you are you are older than I am, right? I'm 41. 
Oh gosh, I'm older than he is. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm 46. I'm only been a priest for three years. I'm gonna say you this: dye your hair? you can be. You don't no, I don't dye my hair. <laughs> Thank God they don't see me. No, uh, the the thing about it is, you can be a, you can be called to a vocation even when you are older. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if God called me, can call anybody. Yep. Trust me. <laughs> yep. So and, and even if you've lived a a crazy life, yes. that you have a lot of shame about. Yeah. God forgives all of that. Yes. He, he invents us. He invites us to a new new life. He reinvents yeah. us. And, um, and we, God can take what previously right. was shameful to us and use for his kingdom. Right. We can be prophetes. We can be prophets yes. based upon on our, our past. I agree. I agree. You can be a young uh, vocation, an older vocation, and, you know, go to confession before you go to the seminary. But that's, that's a different yeah. story. Exactly. Yeah, definitely go to confession. <laughs> but, but God can call you to perfection. He doesn't just gloss it over. He can actually fix you. That's what he does. Yeah. Well, with me, he thought, oh, this is guys so good. Let's make uh, Catholicism better with... No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. I was I a like mess. I was a mess. Yeah, no. <laughs> I was a mess. Well, I think you're looking at me like you're done with me. Did you want, did you oh, want somebody... you're misreading Oh, me, okay. I'm misreading okay. then. Okay, let's grab the microphone <laughs> he's, then. He's, he's, he's loving up that microphone. I'm, I'm grabbing the microphone. No, no, no. But vocations is a very good thing. It's a very important thing, especially because... The identity of the priesthood sometimes is lost. Like, people want to be a Jesuit or want to be a Franciscan or want to be a Dominican because they identify their charism. But the diocesan priest, because you are, you are a diocesan even though you are from another right, right? Yeah. The diocesan priesthood doesn't have a charism very uh, per se, like, like you can define right away. And I think that's why we are losing a lot of vocations too. I was one time in a vocation booth, and I remember I was a seminarian, I was a, a younger seminarian, with better hair. And uh, I remember I was in a booth with other seminarians and nobody came to us. Everybody was going to the, to the, uh, to the orders because they knew what, oh, the Franciscans, you know, they, oh, the nature and blah, blah, blah. It's not just because of that, but, right. but they didn't know what our charisma was. So I think it's up to a lot of us priests to also inspire others with, with a good visible charism. And, yeah. and Sometimes I, I, I don't know if I can define it, but, but at least with our presence, with the way we are, would be a great idea. Can, I, can I ask your parishioners? How many of you guys are Father Goyo's parishioners? All right, excellent. You are too. Can, can, I, can I ask you guys, can one of you come on and tell me how Father, as a diocesan priest, has led you closer to Christ? As a diocesan priest, how is he particular? As Father Goy, in, in specifically. I'm listening, so I can, it's up I can to say you. a lot. Okay. Yeah. You can say a lot right <laughs> so yeah, go ahead, go ahead and say your name. Same thing. Uh, my name's Adam Cross. Parishioner Father Goyos. Yes, parishioner at Saint Rose. Patron saint. Um, saint Francis of saint Assisi. Francis, beautiful. And and yeah. how is Father Goyo in his diocesan priesthood led you closer to the Christ? I mean, I, I don't want to give him too much credit, but uh, <laughs> no, um, I think he's helped me to because I'm, I'm the youth minister at the parish okay um so he's helped me to understand that it's okay to take a break or take a breather and to rely more on god if i feel like i need to rush 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 to let the holy spirit do the work to take a do you have a, a story break? about where you have rested and paused and taken a step back and and the holy spirit's done a better job than you can <laughs> because of that Ooh. uh i think a lot a lot yeah. of examples of that but i mean probably just a lot of uh, times going to Adoration Chapel at our parish okay. and just sitting in silence yeah. and, you know, letting, trusting in the Holy Spirit that he's going to take care of the, the teens at our parish or the, the young adults at our parish and not not feel like it's all on me, you know, because that's a temptation. <laughs> Sometimes we can, we can hold on too tight and stifle real ministry. Yeah. Especially if, we, if we're making about us. I think, I think it's, 
there, there's something so beautiful about being able to take a step back and say it's going to be fine without me being the figurehead here for a bit. Yeah. Um, and then kind of step back and watch what the Lord does. Yeah. yeah. So remember, I'm not the Savior. And <laughs> so diocesan priests, when they encourage those who are helping them minister to take a step back, rest, take a breather, I like that. Yeah, and I think they do that by example, too. Yeah, okay. Is, Amen. You know, yeah, diocesan priests, to... take a rest and let your, let your people see that you are also taking that time for the rest and handing it over, tagging out, if you will, yeah. to God. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Somebody else with Father Goyo. He's not even listening right now. So <laughs> so you, you, you don't need to step back. He'll hear this on the podcast. Yes, I go. There you go. Please do. So how uh, are, are you Father Goyo's parishioner? Nice to meet you. Um, how is the way, is he as the diocesan priest, how has he led you closer to Christ through his the charism of being a, a pastor or a, a diocesan priest. Definitely. My name is Madeline. Um, I'm also one of Father Goyo's parishioners. And patron saint. My patron saint, oh my God, of our parish? No, just a, a view. Oh, man. Or your favorite saint, saint you like, saint you thought um, of today. I am a teacher, so I like St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. Beautiful. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Father Gregorio, I think, really has taught all of us that it it doesn't matter where you're coming from, you can always come back to Christ. Hmm. Um, that no matter how far you may stray, you know, it, you can turn around and you can come back. And, you know, I, I really connect to him a lot because he, he taught for 10 years before he, was, um, before he was a priest. And so, you know, whenever I have any questions about, about anything, whether it be teaching or religion or whatever, he's just available. And I think that that's something that's wonderful about diocesan priests is that, you know, they're at your parish and they're around and you can talk to them and um, they're able to minister to all of us. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, they're our confessors, they're our friends, they're, you know, it, it's just, it's wonderful. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. All right. Um, any other questions for Catholic stuff you should know, for a priest, for someone else who's standing around here? Everybody's looking around kind of awkwardly. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start begging in a second. Yeah, please, 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 please. No, that's okay. All right, just if you'll say your name, thank you so much. God bless you guys. Um, so if you'll say your name, where you're from, your patron saint, and your question. Okay, my name is Kay. I'm from Stockton, California, so up north. Okay. Um, I don't really know what a patron saint is, but I. Um, favorite saint. My favorite saint is uh, uh, Saint John the Baptist. Okay. Um, and what was uh, now my question? question. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I I knew you were going to be here, and so I was thinking about what I wanted to ask you about. Um, when I I visit my mother-in-law, who is in a, a, a six-bed boarding care, and on and it's in a neighborhood that's different from the neighborhood that I spend time in. And when I go under the the freeway to get on the freeway, there is a woman who lives on the sidewalk. Okay. Um, she, it took me a while to figure out there was even a person underneath the blanket, but there's a person there. And I've passed her several times, and I feel that I should do something for her. And I, I wanted, because I know you yeah. you have a special heart for the homeless, yeah. and I just wanted to hear what you had to say about that. How can I, how can I approach her? What should I say yeah. to her? Um, I, I would, you know, it, it's a completely unknown. Yeah. Everybody is completely different. Mm-hmm. And, um, and why she's there, yeah. what she needs to be different. So your, your question is great because you're saying, how do I approach her? And I think that's, that's, what you, that's all you can do. Um, what I would say is, is come, anybody who's, who's living on the street, 
um, has some basic needs that need to be met. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, especially for women, um, one of the things that that, that that I experienced a lot of time at home with women is is they, they don't have kind of the basic, they don't have basic undergarments, things like that. Those are the first things to go. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of the, the, the things that, that add the, that basic level of comfort. If, you, comfort. if you're, mm-hmm. if you're just looking for respect and you're looking for food and you're looking for water, you know, these, these even more basic needs, um, the things that, that would be to them, to us, it's, we need those things, but to them, it's a luxury. Right. And, and even if it's like a, a gift card to a clothing store, mm-hmm. or if you can say, you know, I have some some stuff in my car here. She might she might accept that more willingly. I say if you go with something to say, here's here's what I can offer you. It's a little bit outside of the box. I have some food, a granola bar, a hard boiled egg, something like that. But I also have something a little bit deeper. Um, I've thought about this. I've seen you, and I want to talk with you. And then also come asking her for advice on something, or asking her for something, giving, making sure she understands the dignity of. I'm not just coming here because you're a charity case. I also come here because I want to learn. I want something. And mm-hmm. it's whether it's it's I'd love to hear a story about a story from your life of a way that you uh, a moment of joy in your mm-hmm. life or, mm-hmm. or a moment of tragedy and sadness or or something that you can share with me a piece of advice for someone who drives by and sees a woman living under a box some some way of saying I, I, I want to bring you something because we're our common humanity mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm a gift giver you know mm-hmm. you might want to say it that way whatever and then mm-hmm. also to say but I also want to receive something from you if you will and you know, there, there's a lot of mental illness on the street, so you and sometimes people don't respond right. the way that we that we in our society think they should or which, want them to. Which is part of my hesitation yeah. to approach her. Yeah. yeah. But I, I want to tell you, you, you're you're right. Even if she rejects you, you're right. You're mm-hmm. you're right to try to build mm-hmm. community with someone. Mm-hmm. You're right to go and encounter someone. You, mm-hmm. You're doing the right thing when you do that. So even if even if for any reason she responds negatively or harshly because of a mental illness, whatever it might be, um, you, you are in the right. Mm-hmm. You, you are doing the right thing. And, and you, you should be able to walk away saying, I did a good thing, even mm-hmm. if it didn't end well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All that right. Thank you. Of course. Okay. Of course. God bless you. Thank you. I, Hi, am, I am a big fan. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we appreciate it. <laughs> Take a sticker or two. Okay. All right. Please, please come and sit down. Thank you. All right. Hi. As much of your name as you want to give okay. where you're from, patron saying a question. Okay. Um, my I'm name Father is Michael, by the way. Hello. <laughs> nice Good to, to meet you. Um, my name is Julie, and I'm from Ventura. Okay. And um, I teach high school. I teach theology. And I had a really great question from a student about um, apostolic succession. Okay. So I don't know if there's any... If it's similar within the Roman Catholic Church and the Byzantine Church. We both have apostolic succession, absolutely. So it was a really great question because we're talking about vocations. We're talking about holy orders. And um, always the question of, you know, women becoming priests comes up all the time. So I'm trying to explain it to them the best that I can of um, Jesus chose men, the background that way. And we stick to that tradition. Um, A student asked, well, since we hang on to certain traditions from Jesus... Um, he specifically chose 12 apostles. So why doesn't the church stay with just the 12 apostles? I thought it was a very valid question, yeah. so I wanted to... Yeah. Um, the, the 12 apostles is a fulfillment of the Old Testament 12 tribes. Right. Um, but but the, the, the bishops initially, I mean, we, I'm, a, I'm a presbyter, I'm a pastor. I represent my bishop in my parish, so it's not actually my parish. I represent Bishop John. He's the he's the pastor, the shepherd of my parish, Holy Protection in Denver. So I, I stand in his place. Um, the I think, in a sense, in 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 heaven, if you will, we're going to go, and the twelve apostles are going to have 
some sort of uh, authority and the judgment that Christ promises them over everybody else. And in a way, all bishops participate in that. Um, but it's, it's, it's mostly a practical thing. So the, in the early church, there were five patriarchates. And, and why five? You know, that's just kind of how it came about. Um, those are the, the cities nearest to either to Jerusalem where the apostles walked to, or it was Rome where Peter and Paul died, and that gives Rome primacy. Um, so when it comes to the apostolic succession and, and why there aren't only 12, I, I think it's just practical. I, I think in the end, there will be a sense of 12 is does have that important place in the life of the church. And if you look at it, if you go far enough back, every bishop is going to have come from one of those 12. You know, and yeah. it, it's kind of this beautiful thing where there will be in groups of 12, whatever. I don't yeah. know, but it's it, it, that's actually a really good question because the numbers are, are important, you know, right. Jewish dramatry, et cetera. Yeah. And if you don't mind me putting you on the spot, no, go ahead. Um, how, how do you answer the, uh, the male-only priesthood question? Well, I just, um, I do, to the best of my ability, I just say, um, you know, Christ chose 12 men. He handpicked 12 of them and said, come follow me. Um, and even though Jesus was sort of bending a lot of rules back then, still associating with women, he could have chose women if he wanted to. So, um, and then I also go into the beauty of um, not all men are called to priesthood, so it's not open for all. And then the beauty of um, women get the gift of motherhood, which yeah. men don't receive, and you know some women have that um, gift as well. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I think it's I agree with all of that as well too. Um, I, I find that uh, that also what we, we in our society what we're lacking um, the an understanding of the beauty of the roles of, of leadership. You know, we were talking yeah. earlier answering a question about priest, prophet, and king. You know, as we all participated by our baptism, we're all priests in baptism. You know, we're just ministerial priests because we're serving the the specific sacramental needs of the community that Christ asks us to do. But um, that there is something about uh, about this this universal priesthood that we all participate in. And, and the role of leadership in the governance aspects of the church, like we need fathers and mothers in the church. And there's, even women are priests by their baptism, of course. So, but the role of the ministerial priest, male-only ministerial priest in the church, is very much a role of, of leadership of, in, in a fatherly way. And we need the role of leadership in a, in a motherly way. Now, I, I'm still learning about this because I don't understand why in the church women don't have more of a strong leadership role. I don't know why that, I mean, there's certainly reasons, but why that isn't lived out on a more day-to-day basis and why our parish structure doesn't seem to have explicit place for that. But within our Byzantine church, um, when I when I walk onto a women's monastery, and I've shared this before on the podcast, but when I walk onto a women's monastery, um, that is, we call her hegumena, you know, the hegumena, the mother superior, that's her area. And even the bishop is in a sense comes on with her permission, with her blessing. And, and so it, it's there, she has this leadership role over the women under her care. But in our Byzantine monastery, I know this doesn't happen in the Roman Catholic Church, but I receive a blessing from Mother. I, and she blesses me with her hand, and I kiss her hand just like I would a bishop, you know. Yeah. And, and I, I see very much she wouldn't, she wouldn't have that role over to a geographical area, but she does over her monastery, over her convent, yeah. you know, yeah. in a very real way. So I'm, I'm still learning about the way that the Holy Spirit's been working in the church um, and, and how do we respond to to find the motherly ways that women, that the church needs women to be in these roles and, and also the fact that we, we're not shamed by the different roles like I think we are today when we talk to people in society. We're not shamed by, but we, we absolutely build them up. You know, why is it? Why is it that, that 
many more in my experience, I'll just say, in my experience, many more women question me about, like you mentioned earlier, they question me about why, why can't women be priests than they do, than do I do men coming up and saying, I just don't get it, Father. Why would God only give the ability to have children and, and to, right. to, like, why would he only get, and like, men are rarely ever frustrated by that. Right. And, I, and I think it's a societal thing. It's, it's yeah. not a, it's not, it's not built into us. We should, in a sense, in one way, look, look at each other and say, I, I don't envy what God has given you, whether yeah. being a woman or a man, but or even in the specific vocations, but I do, I do kind of mourn in a beautiful way the fact that I'm a man, so that I, that means I, I have certain, um, qualities and, and ways of leading, you know, in, in the parental parental way of mother and father. And you're a woman and, and you do too, but but it's so lopsided in our in our society's perception about what those things are. So I think also that that there's a one of the reasons why God asks only for, for male ministerial priests is because that role is a very fatherly role. And and we just don't emphasize or stand in awe enough of the of the motherly roles in the church or the feminine roles as opposed to the masculine roles and even in the parish, you know, things like that. Um, you know, I I had somebody tell me one time, you know, he didn't think he didn't think that lay people should be at all involved in the liturgy, not doing any readings, nothing. And he said because he says that's the place for the ordained. And in the ancient church, it was true. You didn't do anything unless you were ordained to. We had ordained lectors, cantors, candle bearers, etc. Um, but but the, because what what we need to be telling Lee people, he said, and I agree with this to a certain extent, is that is that they're the the role the world of the liturgy is for those ordained, called by God's really ordained to do that. The role of the lay people is in the world. And and if if we as ordained people stood in awe and said, Do you understand the beauty you have of being a lay person in the world? You have access to people in the job and in relationships and in family life and among your friends that, that, that I don't. And I, I need to, I feel a call all the time as a priest to go out into the world and to be a presence, but that's really not my place. I mean, it is, of course. I'm, I'm exaggerating here, but I love doing it. But it's like lay people should, whenever they feel that tinge of like, I wish I could be doing more during the liturgy. It's like, yeah, take that zeal and go into the world and 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 bring the kingdom of God there in a way that 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 we priests can't, and we just don't we don't understand that or speak of that or, or kind of emphasize those things enough. Sorry, I'm, I'm venting. Do you do you have to be the one sitting here? I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a second question actually. Please do. Go ahead. So, is it possible to arrange um, for several of you to maybe come out and do a live podcast, maybe at your old? temporary alma mater at TAC or Ooh. in that area? Um, we are always <laughs> open to the requests. I I would yeah. love to. We're, we're all, we all have our ministry and it's right. funny because we don't always, we don't always do the balance very well. Yeah. And so it's really funny, like, yeah. like even with me talking with my brother companions, you know, there, there's always this moment of of what are our priorities and are we putting them in place but I have no doubt that sometimes the Holy Spirit says your priority Father Michael is go to the Los Angeles Religious Ed Congress or like we went to seek three of us went to seek and it was beautiful so like in those moments it's like we prayed about it and we just said yes because we have to turn down stuff all the time only because of our ministry you know but I am absolutely open to entertaining that I have not been back to TAC since they built the new chapel I mean I I left TAC in 98 yeah a yeah. lot has changed since '98. They have a theater in there or an no, auditorium. Yeah, amen. they just went into it. Uh, just visited. It's beautiful. E- e- beautiful. Email us, and then I'll 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 throw my my yeah. hat in the support oh, ring. Oh, we'll that'd see, be amazing. We'll see who that else bites, and, and say a prayer. The Holy Spirit works that way. <laughs> I know. I know. But thank you. Great. We're honored. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. All right. I'm gonna take it. God bless you. Thank you. All right, all. Thank you for the uh, the time. Thank you for the questions. Um, 
I need to go because I am dying of hunger right now. <laughs> I've been doing too many interviews and not, not enough uh, food. So, uh, CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to all who asked questions. Thank you for all who are listening. And uh, God bless all of you who are listening. Love you and uh, keep in touch. God bless.